me read this for you. Verse 9. 2 Corinthians 5, 9. Therefore we make it our aim, our goal, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in his body, according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. But we are well known to God, and I also trust are well known in your consciences. For we do not commend ourselves again to you, but give you opportunity to boast on our behalf, that you may have an answer for those who boast in appearance and not in heart. We'll stop there because that's all we'll be able to get to today. We're going to be talking in the next couple weeks about integrity. And as your outline says, there's an integrity crisis, and there is in the Church of Christ. Now again, if, if I was just to ask you, what are the necessary characteristics of a, a godly spiritual leader? You could probably start throwing different characteristics out. Let me give you some of them. A leader needs to be. Now again, I'm talking any leader, but more specifically a leader in the church. Not just pastor, elders, deacons. What does a good spiritual godly leader look like? Well, one, I think he needs to have focus. He needs to be focused. They have to have a clear, defined mission which they are pursuing with unrelenting clarity of purpose. I mean, they've got to know where they're going, okay? The second is leaders who, they need to have internal motivation, internal. They don't have to depend on favorable external factors to achieve their goals. They're, they are driven internal, especially spiritual leaders, because the external may not look very good, but you've got to know where you're going, and it's got to be from within the heart. Number three, they have to be courageous. They are usually so dedicated to their tasks and goals that they refuse to back down in the face of adversity or hindrances or obstacles. In other words, they have to be courageous. I'm going, and and I'm going to keep going whether anyone's standing with me or not. We have to go this direction. Fourth, they have to be knowledgeable. They understand what they need to know, are sure of what they believe, and are eager to learn more. So they're always learning. They're never satisfied with just, well, this is good enough. Number five, they have to be strong. Because they have to have the strength to endure the difficult labor that achievement often demands. They have to be strong. They can't be weak. I'm not saying they sometimes don't have weak strength, but as far as the strength of their person and and the direction and giving it all. Number four, or six, optimistic. By the way, that's one I struggle with. Sometimes I get, I'm not optimistic. My wife has been a good one. She's always optimistic about everything. Everything's going to, yeah, that's good. It's great. That's great. I mean, I needed, I need her in my life. But again, they look at the best about their plans. And they look at the best about their people, the people that they're leading. Good leaders look at the people they're leading and think the best. And say, you know what, they may be here, but just wait to the future. They're going to be here. By the way, parents need to be the same way. So they need to be optimistic. They also need to be enthusiastic and persuasive. And if you want to throw in another word, influential. They have to be influencers. Well, they're influencers by being enthusiastic and persuasive. I think of the uh, late President Harry Truman 
He often referred to leaders as people who can get others to do what they don't want to do and make them like doing it. See, that's, see, that's not only optimistic, but that's enthusiastic. That's an influence, uh, influencer, right? I mean, I didn't want to do it, but now I'm actually enjoying it. That's a great leader. They're willing to take risks. You know, they see what has to be done and they go in that direction and they're ready to risk their reputation in the right sense to accomplish that task. And in a world that hates Christ, we have to be risk takers. They have to be skilled communicators, being able to articulate the plan, the vision. They have to be imaginative. Why? Because there are new possibilities. You can't stay in the same rut, in the same pattern. Things change. The world changes. Culture changes. You have to adapt while keeping the message the same. And finally, you have to be independent. Again, strong enough to stand on their own. Now, that's a, that's a pretty long list. You could add patience. You've got to have patience with people. Because people are moving at a certain pace. By the way, people move at a certain pace and they don't want to move any faster. And if a leader gets frustrated with that, now they're starting, oh, what's wrong with them? Well, maybe it's, maybe it's the leader. They've got to they learn patience. This is God's work. This is not their work. This is God's work. And God wants them to learn patience with the people that they're leading. See, I threw out all those because if I had asked you, if I gave you a a blank paper and I said, I want you to write down all the things that you think a great spiritual leader is, some of those would probably be on your list, right? You know, those would be some of the characteristics. But I wonder if the word integrity would be on the list. Would integrity, and, and yet integrity is the most important characteristic of all those. Integrity is what holds it all together. See, you can have, you can be courageous and knowledgeable and strong and optimistic and enthusiastic and a risk taker and a good communicator and independent and all that other stuff. But if the man lacks integrity, he's going to be a disaster as a spiritual leader. You must have integrity. It, it solidifies, it unifies all the other qualities, all the other attitudes and actions. Now, you, you might immediately say, well, what is integrity? Well, the Oxford English Dictionary says that the word comes from the Latin word in integrities. Well, that makes sense. Which means this. This is what I'm talking about when I mean uh, integrity. Wholeness. Wholeness. Completeness. Uh, the, the root means to be undivided or un, untouched. It's intact. It's entire. entire. What, what are you talking about? Entire. Wholeness. It means that what the person is internally is the same that you see externally. That's all I'm really trying to say. A person of integrity is someone that as you watch them externally, that's really what is in their internal motivation. Their heart is, is being expressed in a, in a true sense. So like you see someone, let's say, at church, and they look happy and energetic for the Lord and grateful for Jesus and they're just, you know, this bubbly, and then you say, well, that must be what they really are. And then sometimes you talk to another, you know, neighbor or friend or relative or spouse, and you say, what are they really like? And sometimes what they're, this is what they're really like doesn't match with what you see, okay? 
A person of integrity is undivided. It describes those who adhere to their ethical, that, that adhere to their ethical or moral standards, who are, again, not divided or merely pretending. Now, if you, a person who merely pretends, we would call a what? A hypocrite. And there's a lot of judgments against hypocrites in Scripture. The Lord had some excruciating words towards those who were leaders, Pharisees, who were hypocrites. And we're going to look at that in a moment. Uh, people with integrity lead lives that are, are one with their stated conviction. So what they, what they have said, these are my convictions, they are living according to. They practice what they preach. They practice what they preach. They are honest, sincere, and corruptible. Uh, people with integrity have nothing to hide. By the way, I want to say very quickly, we are not talking about perfect people. Because some of you might say, oh, well, you know, I mean, what are we talking, perfect here? No, but we are talking about someone who is honest, truthful, even in the way that they present themselves. See, they have nothing to fear because their life is an open book. They're not trying to hide their sin. They're not trying to hide their weakness. I mean, they're not just throwing it out for everyone to see. That's not the issue. But the point is, is, They are on a pursuit for holiness, and part of that is being vulnerable, being transparent to to individuals in the family of God. So again, this is the type of person who you wouldn't have a problem with walking into their home unannounced. In fact, you wouldn't even have a problem. This person wouldn't have a problem with you saying that you could set up a camera in their home So they're not even there in person and observing you. They're observing you. They're observing how you act, what you say, what you do, what are your activities. This type of person wouldn't have a problem with you uh, getting on their internet, their history, and finding out what you've been uh, viewing, the time that you've been wasting or the time that you've been lusting or whatever because this person is a man or woman of integrity. They're whole. You get the point. They're whole. They're complete. The internal drives the external. And in Scripture, it is very clear that we are all supposed to be men and women of integrity. Like in Philippians chapter 2, verse 15, it says that you may become blameless and harmless children of God. Blameless and harmless. doesn't use the word integrity, but that's what blameless is. The inward is like the outward. And when it comes to the church of Jesus Christ, this is absolutely critical. Absolutely. Many of you know the passage in 1 Timothy 3, verse 2. Talking about a bishop, it says he must be blameless. And the word blameless means not able to be held. Not able to be held. What do you mean? In other words, you can't lay a charge against that person. You can't accuse them and, and and the charge stick. So when it comes to our elders, let's say Bill Baker, you can't make an accusation against them where it would actually stick. It doesn't mean that people may not make the charge against his character, but in reality it won't stick. By the way, that's why if someone makes a charge against Bill Baker, I'll be one of the first people on that person's doorstep and say, prove your point. Sometimes charges are made, accusations are thrown, and nothing is done about it. Well, let the grace of God cover it. No! You don't let the grace of God cover an accusation that's false. You defend your brother, right? 
Now, if the accusation turns out to be true, then, then you confront the brother, right? But if it's not true, then you confront the person making the accusation. And the same exact, or not the same word, but a different word, but the same concept is used in Titus 1.6, talking about elders, that if a man is blameless, now there, it cannot be called into account. Where the other one can't be grabbed a hold of, this one you can't call him into account. In other words, nothing sticks. Why? Because he is a man of integrity. There's no overt, flagrant sin that could mar the life of the one that must be the example to the sheep, right? That's the elder. So that's, that is very, very important. And there is an integrity crisis. You know, you can go all the way back to Jim Baker and, you know, who was that other pastor that tried to pro, uh, proposition a prostitute? And, but recently, you know, the NEA president there that ended up going to homosexual prostitute. I mean, it's like, and what does that do to the Church of Christ? I mean, immediately it's like, well, the world says this. Well, I knew. They're just a bunch of hypocrites. But the other thing it does is whoever was following that person decides, you know, many times they just leave even the faith in the sense of, I mean, as far as walking with other Christians, I, you can't trust anybody. I mean, it really does a lot of damage to those who are following men who are not men of integrity. That's why, again, Jesus in Matthew 23 I mean, he just blistered the uh, Pharisees because they were hypocrites. Uh, Matthew 23, verse 13, But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Verse 15, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Verse 16, Woe to you, blind guides. Verse 17, Fools and blind. 19, Fools and blind. Then 23, 25, 27, 29, you know, fools or hypocrites, excuse me, hypocrites, hypocrites. Why? Because you're, you're saying you're this, but you're leading them down the path of hell. We, we should never take uh, nonchalantly a person that is uh, uh, not a man of integrity. And primarily, I know I'm saying men because we do believe in Alfred Home Bible Church that it's men who should lead. Now, we should all be Men and women of integrity, correct? Amen? Right? Philippians 2. But again, we're talking about men leading. We're also going to be talking about Paul, who's the apostle, who was basically being um, attacked on, the, on his integrity. In fact, I can see I'm not going to have a lot of time. So let's, let, I'm going to skip over a major part, okay? Because, uh, and I'll just get back to it next week. But I want to get to something specific today. Let me say one thing about Paul. Because you can see this in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 9. 1 Corinthians 9, 24. Remember where Paul says this, I'm running the race, we all run. Uh, run in a race, all run, but one receives the prize. This is uh, 1 Corinthians 9, 24. Run in such a way that you may obtain. Uh, everyone competes for the prize, is temperate in all things. Now they do it for, to obtain a perishable crown, but we an imperishable and then he says that, therefore I run. Not with uncertainty. I mean, I know the goal I'm going towards. So I'm running. I fight, not as one who beats the air. And he's, he's thinking back to the Olympian games. Actually, the Athenian games. And he's saying, you know, there's the wrestlers and they are willing to put their all, even get bruised. In fact, many of them died in the competition back then. 
because they wanted to win the prize. And the prize there was only a laurel wreath that was corruptible. I mean, it would only last for uh, a few days. But, but they had the prestige of winning, plus they got different benefits tax-wise back in the ancient days. But he says, I fight, not as one who beats the air. I discipline, there that, that's that word, discipline my body and bring it into subjection. Catch this. Lest when I preach to others, I myself should be disqualified. Now, why am I saying this? Because to be a man or a woman of integrity, it takes sacrifice. It takes tremendous sacrifice. Because what is the world telling us? Comfort, ease. Keep your eye on today. Don't worry about tomorrow. Do whatever you please. Have it your way. Right? Have it your way. But Paul says, I don't have it my way. My way would be, I'd be disqualified. My way is going down the path of sin because he had the flesh. Remember Romans 7? But he said, listen, I I fight, I run, I beat my body. He's not talking about self-hurting. He's just saying, listen... I am going to, I am, my body wants to dishonor Christ and I have to keep it by the power of the Spirit going in the right direction. To, to be a person of integrity, just first major point, it takes sacrifice. It's hard. If you say, oh, I want the easy path, then you are not going to be a person of integrity because you're just going to kind of win whatever happens to come along that you feel like doing at the moment. No, no, you have to have intense self-discipline that is empowered by the Spirit of God through the Word of God. So that's the first. And here, you know, the, the leaders, and again, Paul, we're talking specifically about Paul in this passage, need to protect their integrity. Now that's where it gets hard. People can throw, can throw um, accusations against leaders, and it's real easy to make something up and throw it at the leader, isn't it? In fact, I'm going to tell the story just kind of, because I've got the guy right here. We went, Charlie Dybert and myself went down to uh, a, I'm going to make it real general, to a, um, to a lumber yard, because we have four or five of them in this area, okay? And uh, got some different uh, sheets of wallboard. And when the one piece was being put into the van, church van, I questioned whether or not it was going to be usable because there was a gash. You know how wallboard, you know, there's always you get two or three pieces that have a gash. And I just mentioned, you know, what, wait, should we get this one because is it damaged? Well, Charlie at the very moment said, no, it doesn't matter. We're going to cut off two foot or whatever anyway, so don't worry about it. Okay, didn't think about anything. Just put it in there. Well, the next day, I didn't go down there, but Charlie happened to go down for another piece of wallboard. We needed one more piece. And as they were loaded it in, the one guy that was there the, the day before helping me, helping us, said, boy, that, that pastor of that church, he was, I think, what did he say, so angry and mad? Is that what he said? <laughs> How mad and angry I was about that. And all I had done, I mean, again, you can go ask Charlie there. All I did was I just questioned whether or not the gash was going to be usable, you know, with our project. <laughs> Turned out no problem. But it just, isn't the Lord sovereign? I mean, like, who would have thought that this week, as I knew I was going to already be preaching it, you know, but it's just like people can throw an accusation. That easy. That easy. Now, I told Charlie, I said, I am so thankful you were right there. You were right there. You could verify everything I said, everything he said, every, you know. But again, you see how easy it is if, 
if a person is proved to not have integrity, they can't be in the ministry they, because they're not blameless, like Titus and uh, Timothy says. And yet, see how easy it is for someone can twist and throw it. Now, he did not, I don't think this individual, because I know the individual. I mean, I've known him from 25 years ago. He was in my youth group. Um, <laughs> but the point is, I don't think it was malicious. But I'll tell you what, there are some people out there that are malicious. He wasn't, but there are some that are. And so, and this is what was happening with Paul. I'm just trying to set this up. Paul writes the letter to the Corinthians because there are malicious people trying to destroy him. And they were saying a number of different things. And if you go through the book, you can start really piecing together a good, a good picture. See, they were accusing Paul of operating in the power of his flesh. That's why in chapter 1, verse 12 of this book, he says, I'm not coming to you in fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God. Why? Because they were accusing him of fleshly doing things by the flesh, not by the spirit. They had accused the apostle of a secret agenda. See, they were saying this, oh, he's just here for money, for sexual favors from women, for the accolades of being in ministry. That's why he's serving. And that's why in in verse 13 of chapter 1, he said, wait, I wrote because of what is really in my heart. My yes is yes, my no is no. In other words, who I am, you know. There is no secret agenda. But see, these false, this is the whole point. The false teachers wanted to disrupt the Corinthians' trust in the Apostle Paul because once he's out of the picture, then they can set up shop, then they become the leaders. Number three, they were saying to the congregation that, they, that he can't keep his word, that he's double-tongued, he's a liar, you can't trust him. And so in verse 17, all the way up to chapter 2, verse 1, he says, now wait a second here. I planned on coming to you, but then I decided not to, but there was a specific reason, I won't get into it, but he was defending the fact that he kept his word. Then they were saying, well, he's corrupt, he has a secret life of vice, and he's vicious, he's wicked. And in chapter 4, verse 2, he says, we have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness, not handling the word of God deceitfully, commending ourselves to every man's conscience. See, he's saying, listen, you know me, and I have commended myself to everyone's conscience. I don't have this secret life of shame. They accused him of seeking personal glory. In chapter 4, verse 5, he says, We do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus and him crucified. Why did he say that? Because they were saying, you're all for personal glory. I mean, he was, he was being attacked. In fact, I really believe that when he says the thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan, I think he is referring, now he's not talking about his eyes. I don't think he's talking about any physical ailment. I think he's talking about the leader of the false teachers. That's who the messenger of Satan is. Messenger is always used of an individual. The messenger of Satan is this ringleader of people that keep accusing of the apostle while he's not in Corinth. And so now he, he comes, and there's a lot more to be said. I, we just obviously don't have the time. But now we get, hopefully I get a couple more minutes in this passage. Because what he's going to do is he's defending his integrity in this passage. From verse 9 all the way to 18, he's talking about his, actually 17, he's talking about his integrity. Now again, for the apostle, that's hard. There's been a number of times in my life, I I mean, I could name them on maybe one hand, maybe two, 
where I had to actually defend my integrity. That's hard. Because the idea is, if you defend it, people look at you and say what? Well, see, he's talking because he is guilty. He's just trying to persuade. It's, it's like there's no win. But here Paul is saying, listen, I've got to defend it. Because if I don't defend it, you're not going to listen to me. And if you don't listen to me, you're going to listen to them. That means you're going to be listening to error versus God's truth. Do you see this? This is an eternal thing here. He's not defending his integrity for himself. He's saying, listen, it is needful for you to listen because this is God speaking. And and I would say this in the 21st century today. Your elders need to be men of integrity. Your deacons need to be men of integrity. Your leaders need to be people of integrity. Why? Because you need to learn to trust. Why? Because I trust that what we're saying is from God. We've got to be careful. Uh, it's, it's a huge, huge issue. So he says, listen, I, I, I've, I've been trying to persuade you. Let's get right in the text. Verse 11, we persuade men. That's actually the key to this whole passage. Verses 9 to 17, the, the key is the second part of verse 11. We persuade. That's key, uh, the key action. And that word persuade is the word, actually, we saw it in verse 10 where it says we must all appear. Same exact Greek word. The word appear in verse 10 is the same exact word, excuse me, not the word, I I just messed up. Not the word persuade, but the word well known to God. The second part of verse 11. The word persuade means I'm trying to convince you that what I'm saying that, that, but we are well known to God. That's the word appear, okay? So the word well-known to God in verse 11 is the same exact word as appear. It means to be turned inside out. In other words, you, just like I'm going to be turned inside out, verse 10, at the judgment seat of Christ, you are going to be turned inside out at the judgment seat of Christ. Are you looking forward to that? You're going to appear, and the appearing means that you're going to be, your motivations and actions are going to be completely known by God himself, the Lord Jesus Christ. You're going to appear. But here, he's saying, in verse 11, he's saying, but wait a second, we persuade men, but we are well known to God. In other words, we are completely known to God. We are turned inside out before God. God knows my heart. God knows my actions. God knows, this is what he's getting at, that I am a man of integrity. Even though these false teachers are accusing me of all these horrendous sins, I have been made manifest... Well known to God. Now, what's the second part of verse 11? And I also trust our well known, there again, second, second use of that word, well known in your consciences. Do you see what he's doing here? He's saying, listen, verse 10, I know I'm going to appear before Christ and he's going he's to then expose everything in my heart. But right now, while I'm on this earth living, God knows I am... I am manifested, I am well-known before God, and I hope that I am well-known before you Corinthians as well. I hope your consciences, this is what he's getting at, I hope your consciences is telling you this, that the things that the false teachers were saying were a lie. Now, let's just look at a couple, four things very quickly. Four things that... He gives as motives behind his defense of his integrity. So he's writing this starting in verse 9 saying, listen, this is why I'm defending myself. The first one we looked at last week. 
Why? Because I want to be pleasing to him. I'm defending my integrity, Paul says, for this reason. Because I'm a reflection of Christ. I want to be pleasing to him. And if you believe that I am an ungodly, wicked, lustful man that reflects on Christ, and that's not well-pleasing to him. You see how that goes? See, in other words, you defend your integrity because if you say you're a Christian, you are a reflection of Jesus Christ. By the way, I'm using that word reflection. It's kind of like you're just the mirror because you don't generate the light. Christ is the light, right? He's the life. He's the light. But what do we do? We, in our lives, reflect him. Well, if an accusation against you is that you are an ungodly, wicked Unless it's true. But if it's not true, you need to... Why? You need to defend against that. Why? Because you are reflecting on Christ. So verse 9 says, I want to be well-pleasing to him. That's the first reason. Number two, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. The second reason I'm doing it is because whatever happens on this earth has a direct relation to judgment day. So if... I can't serve you. That means I'm not uh, able to have fruit for Judgment Day. I remember one time someone falsely accused me, and and this was their only parameter for me. Uh, We won't continue with this accusation if you get out of ministry. That That was their thing. You get out of ministry, we won't pursue this anymore. What? Do you understand the ramifications for Judgment Day for me on that? What are you talking about? No, you go through and you say whatever you want to say because I'm not going to give up my ministry. I'm going to be standing before the judgment seat of Christ someday. That was still, that's in the, the apostle's heart. So I'm going to, you protect your, you protect, by the way, I'm saying in a crowd, I, I'm really getting to this point. Paul said, I want, I got to defend my integrity. I would say it this way to each one of you. You make sure each one of you defend the integrity of your leaders at Alpha and Alma Bible Church. Okay? If there's ever an accusation, you go to the leader, you go to the, the person saying it. By the way, did you hear what Lydia and Jeremy had to, had to agree to? That they would not what? Gossip. Because gossip separates even the best of friends. Okay? So that's the second thing. Judgment seat. Number three. He defended his integrity for reverence for the Lord, knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord. And that word is phobos, fear. Now, to the unsaved, that means terror. That literally means terror or dread. But I I believe verse 11 is actually referring to saved. The whole context is saved people. But knowing the terror, what do you mean? Well, if if it's the word phobos, it also can mean reverence or awe. I.e. this. This is how Paul's thinking. Listen, because I have so much awe, so much reverence, so much worship for the Lord, I I, want to be pleasing to Him. I want to worship Him. And part of that worship is the fact that I'm going to defend myself because I am one of His children. I am one of His ministers. I See, because He wants to reverence the Lord. Because if He was proved to be what the false teachers were saying then that would not bring reverence to the Lord. It wouldn't bring worship to the Lord. It wouldn't bring awe to the Lord. 
This whole issue is, you know, I mean, in Christ, in Paul's mind, he just wants to uplift Christ. So again, this, this fear, I mean, you can go through different passages. It says that, the, uh, well, let me just give you one. Perfecting holiness in the fear of God. The fear of God leads us to become more holy. Sometimes in my life, over the last 55 years, I've looked at my life and I've said, why do I struggle with certain sins so long until I get rid of them? I mean, in other words, why do I not have victory in the first three months, two years? Why did it take some of these sins year after year before I really took care of those through the power of the Spirit? Why was it? Why did they hang on so long in my life? You know why? Because I didn't have the fear of God in that area. Because, see, the fear of the Lord... Well, let me give you Proverbs 8.13. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. If, if I really hated evil, if I hated the sin, which shows the fear of the Lord, then I would have been more drastic in taking care of it. Some of you have sins that hang on year after year after year because the fear of the Lord is really not that strong in your heart. You, you don't have the fear of the Lord to hate that particular evil. You have to ask God for it. Lord, give me a fear of you to hate this evil. Because he says the fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride and arrogance and the evil way and the perverse mouth I hate. That's Roman, or, uh, Proverbs 8.13. Not only that, but the fear of the Lord also causes us to praise him. Psalms 22.23. 22, he who fears the Lord, praise him, glorify him. But not only that, the fear of the Lord does one other thing. It's not specific to the fear of the Lord. I mean, it doesn't use the wording. But remember Romans 12, verse 1? I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you what? Present your bodies a living sacrifice. Now, if you present your body as a living sacrifice, what does he say at the very end of that passage? That we, that we might... Uh, Holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service, your logical service. In other words, that, that uh, living sacrifice, which is really the fear of the Lord. I mean, that, I mean that's the fear of the Lord being played out. Fear of the Lord always leads to service. See, it, it, it leads to becoming more like Christ. That's holiness. It leads to worship, like Psalm says, but it also leads to service. So you ask yourself, do I really have the fear of the Lord? Well... When you come across sin, does it take you year after year to deal with it? Do you have a tendency to, uh, to, 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 to not admit that this is exactly who I am? You skirt the issue. Is there really uh, in your heart an awe for God that you worship? And do you serve? Do you serve? Do you serve out of uh, because he has done so much for me? Or, or do you get meism? Yeah, it's about me. No, it's not about you. That's what the judgment seat of Christ is all going to be about. No, it wasn't about you at all. <laughs> I mean, it, that is so refreshing. It is so refreshing to me to find out when it's all said and done, it's not about us. It's all about Christ. It's all about him, and it's all about us walking with him. So he says, because of the reverence for the Lord, I'm going to defend myself. And then finally, we're going to have to end here. He defends himself because of the others within the church. Within the church. Look at, look at the verse 12. Look at verse 12. He says, For we do not commend ourselves again to you. Why? Because he already commended himself before. But now he's stepping back and he's, and he's basically saying this, I have told you all about myself. 
I was there teaching you. You know my life. Now I'm leaving it up to your conscience. You should know better. When these people come with these uh, unbelievable stories about me and my wickedness, you should go back to knowing who I was. You should know me. So he says, I'm not, gonna, I'm not going to um, commend ourselves again to you, but I'm going to give you an opportunity to boast on our behalf. And by the way, the word boasting there just means that you're going to have confidence in. Okay, So you're going to boast on our behalf that you may have an, an answer for those who boast in appearance. Now, who are those? Those are the false teachers. See, they boast in their appearance and not in heart because a false teacher will look good outwardly but not inwardly. Outwardly, they look good, but inwardly, they're full of dead men's bones. They're white sepulchers, right? So he says, listen, I'm going I'm to give you an opportunity to boast, but I'm not going to harangue you anymore. I'm just setting down my case and saying, listen, I've been with you. You've watched my life. You walked with me. I've served you. You've gotten saved under my ministry. You're growing under my ministry. And I'm not there. And these people are, are, uh, are trying to tear me apart, and I want you to defend me. That's actually what he's going to get at. By the way, if they don't do it, it's going to hurt the church. Why? Because when the leader goes down, that's the best way. Or let me say it this way. Nothing will split a church faster than attacks on, on the reputation of its leader. Nothing will, will eat at the foundation of a church quicker than when the leaders are attacked and, and they're not defended, especially if they're innocent. It just hurts the church. It hurts its unity. Think about Ephesians 4, 3, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Well, that's going to go out the window. Now remember, when he's writing this letter in the, in I think it's uh, 55 AD, there's no New Testament, folks. <laughs> he's the only one. He's going to be the guy that's writing 13 of the New Testament books. There, actually, after you get through the middle half of, uh, of, the, of, the, of the book of Acts, it's only Paul. I mean, it's Paul and his companions. That's, I mean, you know, we have all this, and we're studying, and we're saying, okay, yeah, that must be really hard for him to take. I mean, if it was proved, if, they were, if the false teachers were able to destroy Paul, can you imagine how catastrophic that is to the church of Jesus Christ? Now, you know, obviously we believe in the sovereignty of God and the preservation of God. But that's what Paul is dealing with. So he's, he's going and, and he knows that, listen, if, if they bring me down, the unity of church brought, is brought down, the spiritual growth of the church is brought down, <laughs> and even the evangelism of the church is brought down. Why? Because what does the unsaved world say again? I knew that they were all... It seems like we keep re- hearing this word hypocrite. No, because if anything, the church of Jesus Christ should be full of people that have integrity, especially the leadership. So let's look at this final last point. So he says, listen, we don't commend ourselves again. We don't commend ourselves. In fact, the second part, that you may have an answer for those who boast in appearance and not in, in heart. He's given the argument, the defense over to them. See, he's writing to them. He's not in their presence. He's saying, listen... I want, now this is a really neat point, I want my friends to defend me. Sometimes when a false, when a person accuses a leader, the leader goes to the person. You know what that does? Only gives the person more ammo. I wish I had known some of these principles years ago. 
See, because what is the person that's accusing going to say? Well, see, they're just trying to defend themselves. I mean, he knows what he did. He's just trying to defend himself. Why can't they just stop coming to me? Sometimes they'll say, you know, the, the, the guy that's righteous is going to the other person. You know, why do they keep bothering me? See, doesn't that show wrong? I mean, he's trying, he feels guilty. He's trying to alleviate his conscience. You know, let it go. You're not perfect. It's okay that you did some sin. Wait a second. Paul would say, listen, I didn't sin. But that's what they would. So actually by going to the false teacher, the messenger of Satan, he would actually have been given him ammo. What does Paul do? Listen, you're my friends. I am pleading with you, not for my sake, but for yours. Paul says, listen, I want you to defend who I am. Because if you don't, it's going to have great ramifications against you. 2 Corinthians 1.14 say this, says this, We are your boast, we are your boast as you also are our boast, in the day of the Lord Jesus. I'm only giving you that because when you see the word bow, sometimes you think pride. And here, all he's saying is this. Listen, I want you to defend me because I want you to boast in me. I want you to have confidence in who I am. Now you say, well, why are you bringing all this up? Well, it's just the next part of the passage. <laughs> I want to get to chapter 5 verse 21 but i think this is but it's been very helpful it's funny because this just kind of came along but i said you know what but is it important to have a, a integrity absolutely it's killing the church of christ and so i'm going to end with this with you okay couple three questions one one is this how do you defend your leadership do you allow words to go through, and just like we showed in the membership, maybe even gossip at times and just let it go? Or do you get to the bottom of it? And do you protect those who are leaders in this church? Do you protect the leadership? Because again, it's going to get worse and worse, right? It's easy to give an accusation. But again, the church of Jesus Christ should be filled with people, especially at the leadership level, who are men and women of integrity. Whole. Their internal is what they are externally. The second question is this. Are you a person of integrity? I mean, like I said, if I was able to sneak into your house, if I had sent out an emissary uh, uh, earlier today and said, okay, they're going to be at church today. I want you to set up a, a live camera so I can watch them for this next week. Would that be embarrassing to you? The conversations that you... By the way, especially if this camera could see your thoughts. The conversation that you have, the action that you do, the things you speak, what you watch. Okay, are you a person of integrity? Because one of the, not only is it important for your life today, but you know what? Many of you, especially men, you're the future church. And you need to be walking in lives of integrity because someday, maybe sooner than later... We're going to be calling on you and saying, is God calling you to be part of the leadership of Alfred Allman? But are you a person of integrity? And third question would be this. If you're not, put those together with the fear of the Lord and ask, you know, as I'm dealing with life, in my life, am I, am I radical? Am I sacrificial? In other words, are there sins in your life that just go on and on? You've been dealing with this for years. I go back to one final passage, one final verse I'm going to... Proverbs 28, verse 13, well known. 
He who covers his sin will not prosper. Covering, covering. But whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. You cover your sin, you're not going to prosper. You cover your sin, you're not going to prosper. Who prospers? The one who forsakes, excuse me, confesses and forsakes. That's true repentance. That is true repentance. That is a person that says, Lord, you're holy and I'm not. And Lord, I have been dealing with this, but I have not been dealing this, with this in a sacrificial, intense, uh, radical way. And Lord, I want to change. Lord, I'll do anything to change. Lord, it's going to be your strength to change me, but I'll do anything. Lord, I want to change. I'm willing to forsake whatever it has because I want to confess it. I want to be a true repenter. I don't want to repent and then do the same sin in a week from now. Because it's that type of person that does it long term that is truly a person of integrity. I know some of you, if, if, if we tracked your life, you'd be totally embarrassed. The things you said, the things you did, the things you thought this last week, you'd be totally You'd be saying this, I, I am not a person of integrity. But if you're a believer in Jesus Christ and have the power of God in your life, you can be. But you've got to be radical. You've got to be serious. You've got to be willing to say, listen, I'm not going to cover it anymore. I'm going to confess it. That's saying, thou art the man. I'm the one. It's my fault. I did it. I'm wrong. I'm sinning. And Lord, I want to forsake it. And I might even need help from one of my brothers or sisters to do that. But I, that's because it's going to please you. Because by doing that, then you become the person of integrity. You want to be a person of integrity? I, I trust your, your heart says, yes! But have you been going down that path? Because some of you aren't. And you know what happens if you do it long enough? You get cold and hardened, and then sometimes God even puts a catastrophic thing in your life. Something that it expo- someone else finds out. And then it becomes even more of a crisis. Better to do it here. Better to do it here. Let's stand as we close. We're just, because of the lateness of the hour, I know it's, and I appreciate your, I appreciate your fans. <laughs> I know it's hot. I wanted to, the crazy thing is that's only two-thirds of the message. But anyways, are you a person of integrity? If you're stuck in a sin, don't stay stuck. Don't stay stuck. Sometimes you can get out of that hole yourself. Sometimes you're going to have to be humble enough to say, Lord, I'm going to need help. I'm going to need help. And I'm going to run to the people that you've given me to this church. It might be an individual, but most likely it's going to be a leader. You see now why men that are leaders have to be men of integrity? Because you don't want to come to me and find out, oh, you're doing the same sin. But again, if you need help, see myself, the other guys that are up here, the other elders, someone else that's a leader in this church, someone else that's a friend. But again, sin loves secrecy. And we've got to be transparent and vulnerable enough to say, Lord, I want to be that person of integrity, and I'm willing to, to do the hard thing to go walk down the path so that I become that. Let's pray. Father, again, we thank you for your word. We thank you that through providence and sovereignty, you protected the Apostle Paul's reputation. And because of that, we have 13 New Testament books that he wrote. Father, again, we pray that you would protect the, the integrity of the leaders of this church. I do believe there are people that would like to bring this church down through bringing down individual leaders. And I, I just ask that you would protect us.
the elders, the deacons, the teachers, the Sunday school teachers. And Lord, I pray for the body as a whole that you would help each one of us not to be in the process of ever gossiping and tearing down others. Help us to protect each other because this is a family. Father, again, we thank you for those who were brought in, Lydia and Jeremy, and I ask that uh, we would be able to give them the right hand of fellowship as they join our family. And again, as we seek to pursue you and walk in holiness, just give us the grace and the power to do it for your glory. In Christ's name, amen.